Hi everyone, I am Jackson and this ain't a scene, it's a podcast. This week, the cutie pie behind the mic, Ryan, is swamped with work and various things, so I am taking over on this rare occasion. You see, I kind of fucked up and scheduled us for the entire month, and rather than let you down, rather than let all the people we scheduled down, I decided we need to make it happen, so I took the reins. Uh, This is also why we have two episodes of a podcast, basically four hours of content in one week. So another thing I'd like to talk about, uh, my pals in Offset Era are releasing a song called Burning Out on August 23rd, which includes a music video that I helped shoot. So uh, today I will be having a discussion with a man of many talents, a good friend of mine, the singer of Guitarist of Ocean's End, a music teacher, an audio engineer, the dude that does shit at the Vault DIY and Holiday, and also has some other projects and shows coming up we're going to talk about. He's also a good friend of mine, and gives me tons of advice just with everything. And his name is Will Birdwell. First, here is Try Not to Die by Ocean's End. Hi, Will. Thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, can you tell everyone a little about yourself? Uh, yeah, what's up? Uh, my name is Will Birdwell. I sing and play in a band called Ocean's N. Um, I'm 33. I hate long walks on the beach because I hate the feeling of sand in between my toes, but I love swimming. And uh, my favorite drink is a Long Island iced tea. There's one thing I really want to talk about within that, and it's not Ocean's N. It's the sand between your toes. That's like one of the best feelings ever, especially like if you're walking like right where it's wet, like where the ocean touched it. Like that's, that's the, if they sold that feeling. That's the exception like if if, is the wet sand. If the, I love like that firm, like almost like semi-solid feel. Yeah, it feels like clay. But man, I don't want dusty everywhere. So like once it's... Oh, that's, that's like my least favorite thing about going to the beach is when the sand gets like dried against your feet exactly. afterwards. I don't want. I don't want like, to be I crusty. I have to bring. I just want that nice and yeah, that squishy sensation. I hate that crusty feeling. Like I bring extra water bottles when I go shoot on the beach because I just have to like water down my feet before I get in the car. Yeah, that. So that's the thing. Like I like that squishy, firm, wet sand. But God, uh, can can I just like? Can I like levitate? past all the dry sand and then get on the wet sand and then hang out on the squishy. If we could do that, I'd be at the beach every day. So speaking of squishy, <laughs> are you a tits are you a tits guy or an ass oh, guy? Oh it's butts, bro. Oh yeah, it's butts for sure. Yeah. Um and I can totally say that because my wife has amazing one of both, but the butt is functional, right? So it's all about the butt. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> my, Did she hear yeah, that? No, she, well, she's looking at me like I'm crazy right now. She's like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, we're just talking about your butt. Don't worry about it. It's all good. But, um, yeah, I totally agree. Um, so tell us a little bit. How'd you meet your wife? Oh, man, this is an awesome story. All right. So I was very, very ill when I was at, uh, at tech school. And um, this was in Pennsylvania. Um, and my parents at the time lived in Oldsmar, Florida. And they still do, but whatever. Um, but I was very sick. And so my insurance, I guess, wouldn't work up there for whatever reason. Um, and also, as an aside, fuck insurance, because that whole concept just is dumb. Anyway, um, so I had to come to Florida to get um, some medical treatment. Um, turns out I had like some just real nasty um, chest infection, congestion, whatever. I was like spewing up blood and stuff, but finally got taken care of, been in bed for like two weeks or so. And thankfully this was during a break that I had between, um, semesters because my semesters were a little odd. It tech school is a different kind of schedule than normal college. But anyway, my friend, um, was going to school at the time at Clearwater Christian university, um, right there on the causeway. So really cool, like pretty area. And he's like, hey, man, I'd love if you could come hang out. I haven't seen you in a bit. Because I used to actually teach him guitar lessons when we both lived in New Jersey. And hmm. I was like, you know what? Yeah, that actually sounds brilliant. Like, I need to get out of his house. I've been up in his house for way too long. So I went down there. And he's like, well, hey, I work at the dining hall. So I'll swipe you in. You get free food. And we'll hang. And I was like, sounds great. Swipe me in, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And for whatever reason at the time... I just was not, I guess I was just because I didn't want to eat all that much because I'd been feeling sick. I'm not really normally a salad person. But that particular day, I got a, chi- a salad with like grilled chicken on it. And I realized I didn't get any dressing. And I'm like, yo, man, what where's the, the salad fuck? bar dressing at? He's like, oh, okay. And I turn around and I see this beautiful, gorgeous girl. And I was like, yo, who the hell is that? And he's like, oh, that's Susanna. And I'm like, uh, like we got to meet. And he's like, well, she's going to come over. I'm like, how could that possibly be true? Like, and sure enough, she comes over. Hey, Dave, what's up? And, and, you know, and Dave's like, hey, this is my friend Will. And I'm like, hey, what's good? You know, like, what's up, ma? You know, and she had no idea, like, just clueless that I'm trying to, you know, flirt. And just goes right over her head. Um, but the whole deal is Dave knew she was coming over because Dave has to give her a ride later to this thing that they're all going to, which I'm also now going to. So just out of sheer happenstance, now this girl that I am just head over heels for, for how beautiful she is, I am now going to be in a car with her on the way to some other party or something or place, and I can't wait. And from there, it just kind of devolved into me attempting to flirt seriously hard, and it kept going over her head over and over until finally the next day. Dave is like, hey, yeah, you and Will kind of hit it off, huh? And, and she's like, we, we did. Uh, and Dave has to make a date happen because I have now threatened Dave in the car that if he doesn't make a date happen, I'm going to cut his nuts off. So he finds a way. Oh, man, you got to protect the bros, so bro. He, he finds a way to convince her that we should all go on this double date to a movie. And uh, from there, it just is history man uh oh that's i mean you guys can't see this but like will is smiling 
and like cracking up the entire time he tells the story. Like she's my absolute how... best friend, and I'm so thrilled that I get to spend every day with her. So that's how like somebody should talk about you when you meet like. And honestly, fuck dating apps, because, like, what if you just said, yeah, I swiped right on her because she's got a big butt, and, like, that was a story, like, that's kind of lame. This was just, like, um, the worst part was, at the time that I came down there, I had just gotten out of a really, really, like, abusive relationship, which, shout out to dudes that are in an abusive relationship, because... A lot of people don't believe that that is a thing that can happen, but it most certainly. Oh yeah, can I'm, be. and I have been. That was there. my first relationship. Um, yeah, and you know the girl that I was with, she was extremely abusive um, and violent, and um, mm. you know she actually stole like a lot of my stuff and bought heroin with it. That was cool, but I had pretty much like sworn off at the point that like I'm not going for a relationship ever again. This is dumb. You know, I'm just in it to hook up, hit it, and quit it. Like blah 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 blah. Like, I'm never going to be real with a girl. I'm never going to get vulnerable with a girl ever again. And then, of course, I meet this woman that I is my soulmate. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like, I fall head over heels and I get hurt. And I'm like, fuck this shit. And then next week, I'm like, oh, my God, she's so amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, but, we uh, go through, you know, the ups and downs and stuff. But I, I truly do believe, yeah. like, everybody's got their person. And yeah. it's a matter of whether you are um, good enough to cut through the BS and find that person quickly, or if you got to hit your head quite hard often on the way. So I think uh, really the main part of that story is why were you in Pennsylvania of all oh, places? Oh, okay. So yeah, I had, oh man, a string of just bad relationships. So when I lived in New Jersey um, and did a lot of music and stuff, I had a on and off thing for about five or so years. And in reality, it was really bad. I was actually just being manipulated the whole time. And my friends, they really tried to warn me. And of course, I didn't know any better. So I just kept falling into it. And it finally, I, um, when it like kind of culminated and it was just like, oh, this chick has been banging this other dude the whole time. And the whole don't worry about it guy is the guy. I just really, oh, I yeah. really needed like, like a complete change of pace, like fresh canvas, whatever, right? I decided that I was going to just change everything. I was going to, I had just actually quit my job um, because my job was also abusive as a artist management representative um, for an, a client that I can't talk about because of non-disclosure in that way. If I could, if I didn't, if I had, to, if I was gonna lie, then I would talk about that person, but. Because I'm not allowed to defame or slander, then I won't do that. <laughs> um, but anyway, I needed to change the pace badly in a, a lot of aspects. So I was just like, you know what I've always wanted to do? Learn how to build a motherfucking race car. So I go to tech school with the intent that oh I'm going to go build like drag cars is somewhere, somehow. Even though I know nothing about racing, I've never been to an actual auto sport race. Um, I'm convinced that like I'm gonna learn how to build a race car, and someone's gonna hire me for that. So I go to tech school. I'm in rural Pennsylvania, about 40 minutes outside of Pittsburgh, um, where I distinctly lived through probably like 
the most frequent amount of like racial slurs ever thrown at me in my entire life. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, that's why I was in Pennsylvania was I was in tech school learning to build race cars and stuff, which obviously, uh, I think you can tell by now, like I'm not the guy for cars. Um, you know, we all know, yeah, we mean, all know hit up what's, uh, you know, Tyler from Simpatico if you need your car fixed, <laughs> but shout out to Tyler. Oh, really? He's a good dude. Uh, if you're in that Fort Myers Cape Coral area and you need your car fixed, go hit up my boy Tyler. <laughs> Dude, I meet the most interesting people at Geek Squad. Like, I met, uh, so I have a couple things on my life. I have an HVAC system that's absolute dog shit, and I sold a Toltec membership to a HVAC technician. He gave me his number, <laughs> and then to like, because he runs his own company, mm-hmm. and um, I sold a Toltec membership to this uh, very sexy <laughs> physical therapist who, uh, who uh he said she could help me with my left arm issues so that's pretty cool but um really the thing i want to get back to is fuck insurance companies so will if you could control the insurance of this country what what would you change all right so here's how i know insurance is bullshit sorry i'm apologizing if i have long awkward gaps because this beef jerky is starting to get chewy and i am eating beef jerky on your podcast so insurance is a problem because they build this false sense of security and they make you believe the service you're paying is there to protect you. Um, specifically in medical insurance, what happens a lot of the time is that your private insurance company negotiates deals with certain hospitals, doctors, pharmaceuticals, all that stuff. And they're all basically competing, not even competing. They're all agreeing to do a racket on you. So they yeah, charge, absolutely. the insurance company says, well, we will pay, in quotes, X amount of dollars for, let's say, this drug or procedure or visit, right? And the doctor says, oh, well, that means I can charge a percentage higher than that and also collect on both. And so can the pharma company yep. and so can the hospital company. And then, of course, you were stuck with that out of pocket. But you're willing to pay that out of pocket because, but I'm insured. Look at how much money I save, right? And so basically, this like digital or fake money, essentially, this you know comes out of nowhere. This overinflated cost that's set by the insurance company then gets met and exceeded by the providers or the pharma or the um, hospital, and you're left holding the bag for both of those bills. Um, at the end of the day, because you're buying into a premium for your insurance and you're paying that copay or that extended or whatever. And the reason I know all this is because um, I used to work as a paramedic and I would see this billing stuff happen all the time. And it drove me nuts because, you know, you see um, in that world, you see that, you know, for example, Medicare doesn't pay um, more than like 30 percent of whatever an ambulance ride costs, right? Oh, yeah, it's absolutely And fucked. so people assume that, like, all that stuff is covered because they're like, well, the fire department's a public service or, you know, my insurance handles that. And the reality of it is, is no, they don't. Um, and the reason the cost is so inflated is because that little portion that they are claiming they're going to pay or big portion that they're paying is just designed so that you pay extra on top 
to yet another person. And that's their kickback for buying into this system, right? Um, so, you know, it's a problem. Um, and yeah, the um, way that I would, if I could fix it, honestly, I would burn the whole thing to the ground. Um, in other absolutely. in other countries, you know, for example, like hospital groups and pharmaceuticals have to bid um, to be the provider of whatever that is, the drug, the service, et cetera. And that's a fixed price for X amount of time. And the way that, you know, those big companies get those ra- massive record profits is there is one country in the world that doesn't follow that model. And they gouge, they price gouge the fuck out of us um, because they have to make up essentially their losses for being the provider of, for example, Bayer, for being the provider, sole provider of aspirin for a dollar per tablet. And they realize that, oh, well, we barely make any money that way, but at least we're getting our tablets sold in England, right? So they make up their loss by charging us $10 per tablet. Yeah, I think it's absolutely fucked. Uh, I got into a car accident a few months ago, and like I had like a, barely a scrape on my knee, but otherwise I was fine as a fender bender, and somebody was getting on my ass like, why don't you go to the hospital and get checked out in the ambulance? I'm like, do you know how much my fucking deductible is? Mm-hmm. Like, if I had a concussion or some sort of issue, i know it within a couple of days. My mom can drive me to the hospital. But um, it's just things like that. I think it's crazy. Like, you kind of mentioned how it's all kind of a racket. In countries like, let's say, England or Canada, you have, um, you can't see my hands, but the, there's like three parties. There's the people, there's the government, and there's the doctors. There are some private insurance companies, like if you want to get special doctors or whatever, you can still opt into that. Which is pretty cool since there's, you know the rich folks are like these poor people and their free healthcare. But I'm going on a tangent with that. But basically, the people send a little bit of money to the government. The people who can't afford it kind of subsidize the people who can't afford it, which is a good thing because we should all have access to public health. And then they they send it to the government through taxes, even though we could literally just get rid of half the military and fund that plus a million other social programs. And then government funds it back to the doctors. Yep who perform the healthcare and instead of having an insurance company that passes money between the government and the doctor and big pharma, you just have three parties and it's pretty above board. So it's much more efficient that way, but we have so many lobbies in America we really do. to where it's just not profitable to have universal healthcare. And that's why Joe Biden won't make universal healthcare freaking no, yeah none of them will because they all hell, make money off hell of even elizabeth warren yeah probably even not certain bernie sanders bernie sanders can promise you the the moon but if so, if big pharma cause, comes running and donating a bit to his campaign a lot of people change their morals for money i'll tell you that yeah, much and it's a shame because i mean you know in terms of you know talent right we have some of the most talented minds in the world in medicine that live in america and and we have some of the most amazing technologies and resources and techniques that have been invented, right? But yet, it's so freaking difficult for the people that need that stuff to get it. And it's frustrating. I think I read that if Biden would have put the same amount of money he gave to police in his infrastructure bill, we could have covered most of universal health care. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I suppose at some point we should so, talk about music, right? <laughs> how'd you kind of get your start in music? Cause you know, everybody kind of finds their own pace. Some people start when they're five, some people start when they're 13. Yep. For me, I started when I was 21, 
but uh, not really tw- 21, but you know, I'm trying to get more seriously now, but so how, when did you start? How did you start and how did that evolve? For so you? I, I know I always grew up around music. My dad, um, is still a musician, um, not by trade, um, just, you know, as a hobby, but, um, he has always played music for as long as I've been alive and then some, um, uh, my mom, um, sings a lot, used to play the piano, I think. I don't know if she has recently, but I've always been around it, right? So, like, um, like a lot of people, um, I got my musical start in church, um, you know, getting up there and singing with the church choir. Um, but honestly, in terms of playing, um, because, like, I always did choir in, like, school and stuff, and it's okay, but it's just like, yeah, so do a lot of people. But in terms of playing, my dad got me a guitar when I was nine, and I actually hated it. Um, he got me this full size Yamaha acoustic dreadnought guitar. So like insanely oh, big. Wow. And at nine, I, I mean, I've always been kind of short, right? But at nine I was tiny and I could barely get my arms around it. So I hated this thing. And I, you know, I put it in the closet and I'm like, I'm not doing this. Right. So at 11, a friend of mine says, Hey man, let's go see this battle of the bands for the high school. I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. I guess I I like bands. I've never been to a real concert, but sure. And we go and, you know, skateboarding around the parking lot, whatever. And then we go watch some punk rock and some metal and stuff. And that's the first time I've ever seen like alt music of any sort live. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And like, it just, you know, like, all I could think about in my head was just, like, how do I do this, right? So I go home. My dad's like, how's the concert? And, you know, and like kind of almost, like, expecting. And I immediately, I'm like, oh, my God, Dad, I have to get a guitar. I have to be in a rock band. I have to I have to freaking write music and change the world. And he's like, uh, yeah, but you have a guitar in your closet. I'm like, an electric guitar, Dad. I need to be a rock star. You know, like, so we go... We go to the Guitar Center the next day and get a little cheap old, you know, Super Strat. And that was my start. Um, and I loved oh. that thing. I was obsessed with it. I could not stop playing it. I would come home, do my homework, like race through my homework. And then like from that until like my parents forcing me to go to bed, I would be playing my guitar, practicing my guitar. I didn't really know what I was doing because I didn't have any lessons. I had a single book. I had BB King Method 2 because my dad was kind of a cheapskate at the time in terms of educating me on the guitar. But, you know, I read the heck out of that book and I kept playing and kept playing and kept playing and kept playing. And then I started into tabs. Um, my mom would get pissed off because I would try and sleep with my guitar like under the covers so I could keep playing. And I never looked back, man. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, for whatever reason, um, so in our little outline thing, I have a song about gear, and for a reason, I just really want to skip to that, even though it's kind of towards the end of the outline. So yeah. you mentioned that guitar. Uh, so what kind of gear do you run live? Okay, or so just my gear has actually like been evolving, but currently, um, well, I, I mean, starting Friday, um, I will be using an AxeFX um, rig, which was provided to me by hmm. my good friend Wade. Uh, he's been my best friend for a hot minute. Um, we go. Oh, I I love those. Like, um, he plays in a really you know, it's wh- plays in a really rad um hardcore band called Silence Equals Death. Um, and yeah, he got tired of using that, so he's like, "Hey, man, 
um, I'll send this down to you if you trade me back a seven string that I already traded you. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. So he sent me that, and we've been playing around with it. But inside, I'm sure the the more important thing is um, the amp sims that I'm running. So I model a train wreck, um, which is a really ridiculously expensive amp, and I will never own one in my life, so that's why I do it. And then um, on my like ultra buku heavy, um, I am modeling. It's the fractal like built in amp, but essentially I'm modeling it after a Victory Kraken because um, one of my favorite guitarists, Rabia Masad, that's his signature amp, and I love the way it sounds. Um, in terms of guitars, um, I've always been a Gibson fan. Um, everything that I've played um, seriously has been pretty much Gibson heavy, except for Fender Telecasters. Um, oh, those are beautiful. But I, love I kinda, the sound I kind of migrated away from the tellies. Um, that was very, like, I was real big on it in high school. Um, but I mean, like for the type of music you play, I feel like t- tellies are kind of warm. They're kind of, you know, light. Whereas you really want some of that Gibson crunch, yeah. that Gibson heaviness that comes with it, that soul to it. And that's it. the thing is, like, I love the way the telly aesthetic is, but I really am not a single coil fan. But that being said, yeah. um, I know that in the future for Ocean's End, um. We're working on some stuff and some different tunings, and I'm going to try and get into a, a baritone Stratocaster. But for now, what I play, um, I play a 335 um, that's an Emily Wolf Sheraton signature, um, and I've modded that with uh, pickups from uh, Dusty Waring uh, between the buried and me. Um, so that's a kind of unique combination right there. A lot of people don't expect me to say that. They're like, Wait, you put like some Are those metal guys? Active or? Yeah, no, they're passive. Um, okay. The Blackhawks, but yeah, they're like you put a metal guys pickups in a three thirty five. I'm like, yep, sure did, because it sound good. Yeah, that's cool as shit. Um, like I, I'm I'm interested to hear some baritone guitar on Ocean's End. But before we get too far, for those who don't know, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not the most experienced musician, but I'm a big tech guy, mm-hmm. so stuff like that interests me. Things like Axe FX, uh, that's like a stomp board with with pretty much a computer in it where you can um like mod mod it to like to fit your sound that's correct so it's they consider it a preamp so it doesn't power a cabinet on its own a speaker cabinet but yeah the idea is that digitally you can model different amps um that are out there and then it also has effects built in the nice thing about it is the customization in terms of the chain like the signal chain so i can put things wherever i want and wire them virtually however i would want um just like on stage um, with a real thing. Um, but what's nice is there's cer- certain things that you can do in XFX that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do in real life. Um, like, for example, yeah, splitting a quarter-inch cable signal is like, no, you're not doing that. You would need two outputs, yeah. right? Um, especially on like a simple hand-wired kind of amp. You couldn't do something like that. But in XFX or... Helix, which is another piece of gear I used to use, um, you know, we'd be able to do something like that. So that's what's fun about that is like you can just make. Yeah, I think they're so cool. All sorts of combinations of stuff. Back when I used to play some electric guitar, I had a Squire Mustang, and I absolutely love that guitar. It's just it depressed the shit out of me because I look over at it mm. and I'd be like, "Why the fuck aren't don't you play that thing regularly?" So I sold it. But um, so because I know very little about gear besides like the tech side of it. I got myself uh, a Neuro DSP package. Ooh, those are fun, man. 
and they make their own version of like the the axe or the helix mm-hmm. as well, which I've always been interested in, but it's fucking expensive. It is, but, and it's very hard to get a hold um, of right now. Their supply chain is a little yeah. tough. Because that's actually yeah, what absolutely. I was going to go with uh, before all this started. Before I had a helix or an axe effects, I was actually going to get that quad cortex, but um, yeah, but um, they could not pro- get that thing shipped in time, and I was just like, I'm done waiting. I'll get something else. Probably my favorite guitarist and bassist right now is um, Kyle Cypress from The Devil Wears Prada and Mason Nagy from The Devil Wears Prada, okay. and that's what they both run. Yep. And uh, so I was wondering, actually, to kind of stay on topic, uh, do you do you run any amp sims like that when you're kind of recording, um, or um, or do you go live? So when I'm recording, it really depends. If I'm making a demo, I will be totally honest. I always use a, the uh, Joey Sturgis tones, Ben Bruce, which is asking Alexandria. Um, oh, not because yeah, of his tone is would, so good. You know, anything special? It's just it's a very I hate saying it, but it's a very generic tone. Um, so therefore, it works for a lot of different ideas that I have when I'm writing stuff down. Um, oh, but, oh, let's be honest. Asking Alexandra has is like gen- as generic as it gets when it comes yes. to metal. It's really good, but it's generic. So as it fuck, fits so the bill. You're, you're not wrong. Yeah, it fits the bill when I go to write something. But if I'm going to go record something for real, um, more often than not, I'm actually going to try and opt for doing the real amp. Either if we reamp it later in post, or recording it live from the get go. Um, there is something that is kind of special about recording the real amp. Um, but I will say that my favorite recorded tone like that, um, is the Mesa rectifier, the dual rectifier out of the early two thousands, late nineties. Um, Mm. it, there's, you know, something really special about that sound, especially when you combine it with, um, like a Marshall 1960 a cab or an orange cab. Um, both of those, you said a cab, fuck the police. Um, yeah, (laughs) Either of those, I think, are just really beautiful um, amp sounds for like that kind of heavy, heavy, uh, heavy tone. And I know a lot of people have different preferences on on that, but that's that's what my ears like is you know Mesa Dual Rectifier. Um, I think they call it Revision G. That's the one, and then uh, you know into either a Marshall 1960A with like the GT75s or. Um, an orange cab with V30s in it, or why not both, right? Like quad track that stuff. So, uh, what kind of amps do you use live? I might have zoned out. Or oh something, yeah. So or in the Axe Effects, um, I use the Trainwreck, and then I also use um, the Fractal, which is mod. I I mimicked um, the Kraken by Victory. Oh yeah. Um, my I think backup you did say amp, that. which is well, now it's my backup amp, which I used to be my main amp, is a Mesa Badlander. Um, into oh. uh, it's a Mesa Badlander 112, so I use a cream back speaker in that, and then I also have a rectifier 212 cabinet with V30s. Um, so if I was gonna just whip out my actual amp instead of going direct, that's the one. One thing I always think is kind of funny is that everybody has a different philosophy when it comes to amplifiers. So when I saw Desigo at Ollie's, the guitarist, um, can never think of his name, but uh, he has a white beard. He's pretty cool. Um, he had this stack that was taller than him. <laughs> I saw Goreed Theory and the guitarist slash singer Skyler. He rocks a miniature, I think it's orange amp, and that thing is like probably like one foot by one foot. Oh, yeah. And at a preamp, that's probably bigger than the amp itself. 
by also by orange i think so it's pretty cool i think just like the diversity of the kind of tones you get mm. but also it's almost kind of terrifying to me because there's so many options to where at least if i use something like neural dsp like everything is kind of in one place instead of me having to buy this, then buy this, then buy this, then buy this right. in order to have a cool tone. And that's kind of where so I like, ended up with modelers anyway, is I love experimenting with different sounds. Um, so, you know, by getting into gear like that is like, it's like being in the guitar store and you can just play around with all those different things. And I find it to be a lot of fun. I think it's like being a kid in a candy shop, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. That's the main thing I miss about electric guitar is like all that was all the freedom with it. So back when I saw you at the Slam House, I think um, you had a pedal board with a fair bit of pedals on it. Uh, did you talk about oh, those yeah. already? Um, so yeah, when I do use my you know real amp, um, I have a couple things going on in terms of tone. Um, I have just a basic uh, gate on there, just because I do play with the gain pretty high on both of the channels of the amp. Um, because a lot of the times I actually knock it down to 20 watts and crank the gain to really saturate the amp. Um, but So I use a gate for that because we do have songs that have very tight endings, um, and I do a lot of palm meeting stuff. Um, but in terms of tone, um, I have... Everybody's always like, oh my god, a Klon pedal. Um, because you never see like people playing like metalcore or punk or whatever with one of the, the Klon Centaur. Um, but I have a Klon Centaur. It's not a real one. It is most definitely fake. It's uh, my $40 Klon pedal from Wish. And uh, I have a Keeley Caverns that I use for delay and reverb. Um, the reverb is pretty much always on. The delay, I just toss it on when I play a solo, which occurs exactly one time in our set, because <laughs> that's not my job. And then uh, my tuner is my tried and true. I've had that Boss TU tuner since the day I started playing guitar, um, and I don't think I'm ever going to get rid of it because it's a tank, and uh, there's just something cool mojo about that's literally the first thing I ever bought outside of my guitar. But I do have some other you know stuff that I use occasionally with things. Um, I got a HX Stomp that I'll use if we need to be really compact. It's the size of a shoebox. Um, and also can drive my cabinet if I wanted to. Um, but that's pretty much it. I, that, it looks like there's a lot on there, but that's because my power supply is usually on the top because it's bright pink and I feel like being gaudy and flashy. Um, and then the other little black box that's on there is my wireless. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I am very interested in that kind of stuff, and I'm sure there is people in our audience that love hearing about it too. One thing that makes you fairly unique as a vocalist, at least when it comes to local bands, is you know, usually singers are like, okay, if I get a shitty mic tonight, I get a shitty mic tonight. <laughs> but no, no, no. My man's Will, he has a fancy-ass microphone. Oh, my God. He brings it to every show. Can you tell us a little bit more See, about it's that? It's not that fancy. And so I, I use an SM7B live, um, which, you know, some sound engineers get all butthurt when I bring it out because they're like, oh, my God, what is that? Why is it not an SM58? And it's like, who cares? It's a microphone's a microphone. Um, you know, as an yeah. engineer myself, it's like, it doesn't matter. Just make it work. Um, but the reason I like that microphone is I very much try to enunciate because as I started playing out, especially in like the independent level of music, I noticed that I was all like, I always would say the same thing when I would go see music, which is I couldn't understand any of the words. So I made it a point to myself that I was always going to enunciate everything super clearly when I sing. 
And because of that, um, I realized that if I could get a microphone that is designed around that exact facet, then my lyrics would be clear as day. So why not use the mic of the radio, like voices of all time? Um, and so I did some research. I was like, can you use one of these live? And then I find out that, you know, Anthony Kiedis from Red Hot Chili Peppers used one live all the time. Um, the guy from, oh, what's his name? Uh, I can't remember his name. From the Mars Volta uses one uh, a lot. Um, Chris Cornell used one quite a bit. Michael Jackson even used one quite a bit live. So I'm like, okay, well, if these awesome rad dudes can use it, then so can I. So that's how I settled on using that. So I've talked with you a little bit since we're kind of talking about some big rock stars. Your aspirations as a musician are fairly high, I would say. Like, you're shooting for the moon. Can you tell us a little bit more about your goals as a musician? Like, where you want to be in 10 years? Mm -hmm. Like I said, you know, when I came home and told my dad I wanted to play guitar, I was convinced that, like, music was going to be my thing. Um, that that was going to be my job, to play songs that I wrote. So I've always, you know, I've poured like my entire life into doing exactly this. And, you know, my goal 10 years down the road would be that, you know, I don't have to be selling out arenas or something, but I want to be making the same money that I make now uh, as, at my day job, quote unquote. Um, but, you know, from performing music um, in whatever aspect that means, you know, whether it's um, people are supporting me on like a Patreon or something or like a fan club or, you know, I really am selling that many tickets or, you know, even if it's just video streaming for whatever reason is, or, you know, um, some new platform for music distribution comes out or, you know, maybe people want to buy a feature with me. That would be cool. You know, whatever. Um, or merch just seems to be red hot, whatever it takes. If I could just make enough to like put the same food on my table that I do now for my family, but with playing the songs that I wrote, I'll be satisfied. Yeah, I mean, I totally get that. I feel like I'm sort of the same way. Um, I don't think anybody knows this besides the people I've told, but I recently decided to pursue music-related things as my career. I changed my career path from IT to audio engineering just because I realized, hey, in 10 years, I want to be touring the world with a band, whether it's as a photographer and an audio engineer or an audio engineer or just a photographer I want to see the world. I want to see the country. I want to live with music. So I totally get what you mean. I'm hoping that I get to the point where just with my concert photography or just with audio engineering or a mix of both, I would be able to sustain myself and live not a wealthy lifestyle because I know that's not really possible with the route I'm choosing, but a comfortable lifestyle. So I totally get what you mean. Um, Oh, you mentioned before on Facebook, and I don't know why this came up right now, but I've seen this thing you've said sometimes, Ocean's End isn't punk enough. Where did that start? Oh, man. All right, here we go. Now we're getting into the nitty-gritty, the call-outs. All right, so uh, I want to preface this by saying the people I reference in this story, I wholeheartedly respect and love their music, and I do not hold any ill will against them. I hold ill will against the people that made them feel this way. So, the Lakeland Punk Rock Flea Market is a rad, awesome event. And I recently went to the one that they helped host in St. Pete, and I had an absolute blast at it. But, a little while back, we wanted to help out in some way, shape, or form. We're like, hey man, we see all these bands playing, um, and it's fucking cool, and we want to play. 
because um, we played with the cutoffs um, and the chads, and they are very cool people, and we played with them up in Lakeland, and it went off. It was insane. Like, so many people were like, oh, my God, I love this band, Ocean's End, right? So we're like, yo, dude, the next one, the next one in flea markets, let's do this thing. And so he's like, dude, I love your music, but the punk rock flea market is a little gatekeepy, and... I think that audience might think that you're not punk rock enough and I don't want there to be any issues. And I was like, damn, dude, like people are really going to do that. And he's like, yeah, they can be a tough crowd. And so that kind of just stuck with me because I was just like, well, what is punk rock enough? Like, how do I be punk rock enough? Um, Because then I was just like, well, maybe do I need to be more punk rock? Like, what is more punk rock? So I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know, for all the times where people say, you know, punk is the lyrics, punk is, punk is the attitude, punk is the lifestyle. And I'm like, well, I'm fucking punk rock already. Then what's the problem? So we started, I started throwing around this idea of Ocean's End still isn't punk rock enough. And Nick, our drummer, is always getting on me too about, you know, I want more pop punky songs. Because I do have a habit of going heavier on things. And that's mainly because I listen to a lot of, really heavy stuff uh, more than I listen to like modern pop punk which you know I need to do better at that and I'm working on it whatever um by the way shout out Bayside new track uh Strangest Things is amazing go listen to it um but yeah so we started throwing around this idea of Ocean's End isn't punk rock enough and then I was like well how punk rock is this if I start calling you out and be like am I, am I punk rock enough yet so um, you know, then when you guys saw us at Slam House and I, to have the cops get called and they're pulling up during our Fuck the Cops song and I'm just like, this is the most punk rock thing that can happen. I'm yelling yeah. Fuck 12 in front of cops outside. You can't get more punk than that. So, um... <laughs> yeah, I think the genre gatekeeping is the most bullshit thing ever. It's tough out like, there, man. Especially, like, I know good and well, like, and wholeheartedly accept that our music bends genres and crosses genres. And and I, honestly, I do it on purpose because I have always thought of, like, you know, I love breakdowns. I love the heavy stuff. I love the... But I also really enjoy choruses and hooks that you can sing along to, that you remember. Like... The one yeah, beautiful that, um, thing about the hardcore scene is everyone there, sweaty and getting grody and let's go, right? But at the same time, nobody's like humming that stuff when they leave. And, I, and I've always wanted to find a way to take both and put them together. Um, and that's kind of where Ocean's End lives at in that world is that, you know, my love and desire for like brutal hardcore, because um, I grew up in like that New York hardcore scene, and, you know, taking that and marrying it with, like, the most catchy, obnoxiously, I can't stop thinking about it, hooks. And you get to experience both. There's a band that you guys kind of remind me of when I think of you. And Senses Fail, because they're a post-hardcore band. You ever listen to oh, them dude, at all? Oh, dude, all the time. So, um, actually, I I met a couple of those dudes. I can't, um, oh, really? Yeah, there's a studio... A rehearsal studio I used to work at in a little um, in Jersey called Broccoli Rob, and they were up in there one day. Um, they were really nice guys, um, like super super nice guys. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I love Census Fail. Absolutely rad. Where I was going with that is that Census Fail has has the choruses like "Buried Alive," "Can't Be Saved," and stuff like that. And then they also go, 
Is it okay if I do it? Yeah, do it. My character. <laughs> exactly. You know, stuff yep. like that. Like, like that's what I love about the music I listen to is that I can't listen to metalcore too much if it doesn't have like some kind of chorus, some kind of something to it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's kind of where I'm wondering. I didn't notice much screaming in the songs that you have streaming for a guy that listens to some heavy shit. Yeah, so, so the stuff that's, is that gonna be coming? Yeah, the stuff that's streaming right now is definitely a little bit more on the the poppy side of things. Um, there is a reason for that. Um, Try Not to Die, which is the first one that we put up, is um, very much like the we. That was like the first time where all four of us wrote together, um, which was cool. Um, but then also. Um, I just didn't feel the need really to scream in that one. Um, Another Letdown was one that I, that was actually my audition song. Um, so I had to learn that song and audition with it. And in that one also, um, Frank, our guitarist, normally did the screams in that. And we tweaked a couple things or whatever. But even then, it was just not very scream heavy. But the stuff that's coming um, is, I would say, a solid... Let's say seventy-five twenty-five, where there's a lot of cleans, and then twenty-five percent there's going to be some screams. Although there is one or two songs that are on the way, um, which will be very scream intensive, and that um, one of them is lights out, um, and then the other one is fifty milligrams of ketamine. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that's just something I've been wondering. Uh, just kind of like because those two songs are very good, but they don't really. Yeah, it doesn't quite it's capture to, like, like, the full spectrum of yeah, what we do, and that's why we're working on getting more out. Because I feel out. like they did it, because I've seen you guys live a couple times, like, I enjoy those songs, but I'm like, this doesn't really represent the Ocean's End that I know, so like, I'm excited for you guys to put some more out there, if that Yeah, we are furiously working hard at getting more out there. Um, we have um, a new one coming out in September, which is called Shine, and then after that, we are going to be recording our EP. Um, we haven't decided completely on how many songs we're going to put on that, but we're between like five or seven. Um, and definitely some heavy ones will be on that. And that will really kind of like start rounding out the, the, um, sonic kind of spectrum of where we're at. I'm just going to talk and see where I'm going with this. But, um, one thing that I think has really made us friends is that I think we are both very, intense about what we do we are very driven we are very focused like i have goals as a photographer i have things i want to accomplish and you have goals as a songwriter slash musician and things you want to accomplish Mm -hmm. and i think that's really something that helps us connect so for me i honestly have gone to the point where i don't shoot bands that are hobbies i shoot bands that are trying to make it I shoot bands that are trying to go places. That's what's up, man. I shoot bands that want to go on tour. And that's kind of how I see you guys. I don't think you guys release songs just to release songs. I think you guys release songs because there's a message behind it. Absolutely. There's an intention behind it. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so I mean, the whole story with Ocean's End, um, which actually Nick, our drummer, he came up with this. um, And then I just kind of expounded on it after the fact. But um, the whole idea with Ocean's End is that, you know, um, depression and a lot of other mental health issues can be like an ocean where you feel like it's just endless and you're just drowning. You're just treading water, trying to stay above, uh, stay above the waterline. And you know what we know about oceans is that all oceans do, in fact, have an end. There is a coast, you know. We, and so um, we have this kind of mantra 
for our you know fans, we call them the Kraken fishing crew because the Kraken is you know this mythical sea creature that you know attacks vessels at sea and all that. But as a Kraken fishing crew, it's like we're going after that danger. We're 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 confronting it head on. And so this whole concept of like the ocean and treading water and all that as the Kraken fishing crew is like there are people in your life that you can reach out and we will help you across. We will help you get through this thing. Um, and so that's kind of where we've taken the the lore with Ocean's End is that you know we're, I'm, I'm out here trying to craft lyrics and we're out here writing songs that really um, – that we're that voice for the voiceless and I know I've said that a lot online but like what I mean by that is that you know there's people who feel like they can't speak up there's feel people who feel like who are scared to speak up about what's going on in their life the things that they're dealing with um whether it's you know it's uh mental health whether it's abuse whether it's drugs whether it's being an alcoholic whether it's you know uh, this you know a certain lifestyle that is just ruining your life you know what you know toxic people in your life whatever whatever it is, that there are other people out there that don't even have to understand or get it. We're just here, and we will help you through it. Um, and that's where we've kind of taken that. So when I write a song, I write it with the intent of, you know, a lot of times, like, you know, people are like, wow, you're like, for a pop punk band, like, your songs are really kind of dark. And I'm like, I know, because I am not writing them to be feel good. I am writing them so that other people who feel like they can't open their mouth and take say something, say, I need help, that hopefully this will motivate them that like, yes, there is someone else who understands what this is and understands what this is like. Um, and the reason I do that is for the longest time, I felt that way. I felt exactly that way, where like I couldn't speak up about certain topics, whether I was ashamed to or I didn't want to or I was scared to, you know, of the consequences of what might happen. Um, and I hated feeling that way. And finally, I just was like, enough. Like, I'm not going to let guilt or shame or fear dictate how I, my outlook on life, you know? Um, and so hopefully the stuff that we write, like I said, can, can be that voice for someone else so that they can then find their own voice and be like, yeah, you know what? Like I need help or I'm not okay. Or I don't like the way this person does this to me or whatever it is. You know, I just want to inspire people to, get up off their, you know, whatever that they're stuck in and realize that they can take a step forward. Yeah, I totally get what you mean. Uh, part of what you said that stuck out to me is kind of embracing everything that's that society deems is wrong with you. Uh, it's something that um, me, Ryan, and Cody kind of discussed in the past episode and something that Cody said that really stuck with me is that, like, I can't remember exactly what they said, but just really about embracing the fact that we're all kind of fucked up. And the idea of a normal person is Calvinist bullshit <laughs> just to kind of just be the right kind of wasp, you know? Yeah, I, so, I mean, for the longest time, I, I was, you know, and I still say it even occasionally, and I don't necessarily mean it, but I'm just like, you know, I wish I was normal. I wish I was normal. And then finally, it's just like, well, what what is normal? You know, is yeah. maybe normal is the fact what... that like we're all suffering with something. 
Um, cause if there is a normal, somebody has to decide what's normal and, but, uh, there may be a God, but even so, I don't think God really cares like what's normal. I, if, I if there is a God, he, he, I don't think that he, he cares what's, he loves you besides, yeah. I don't think he like, cares don't what's think quote normal. He just wants you to be you. Yeah. Like if there is a gates to heaven, he, he's not going to go, um, you had autism, so that's not really cool of you. Like, maybe you should just, like, go to the other place. Like, that's not... Yeah. I don't know where I, really how I'm going with this, but, like, for me personally, I kind of thought about saying something about it on the last episode, but I'm a little high right now, so fuck it, I'll do it now. Like, I've spent, like, so much of my life, like, hating myself and thinking I'm unlovable because I'm so much different, and I'm different in ways I didn't even learn I was until I'm, like, I'm a full-grown adult, and I just... In the past year found out i have autism and adhd and um and it's just i didn't really hate myself like i because of the way other people made me feel and how i made myself feel like mm-hmm. after the past relationships like these other people i thought were like the bearer of right and wrong because i love them but like i decide like what whether i'm lovable or not i decide if i'm good so it's kind of like embracing the fact that there are things fucked up about you but there are going to be people in your life that like enjoy the fucked up parts of you that can still connect with you that you can connect with them and like you know you can improve people's lives even though you are fucked up so i think that's like the biggest thing i want a bit of a tangent there no, you're good i'm just kind of going where i'm going so will i kind of talked a little bit about like my story with mental illness and just neurodivergency i guess um do you have any story at all you'd like to tell yeah, I mean, I'm well. I I guess I am considered a neurodivergent because I I do have ADHD. I've been diagnosed with that since I was hmm, so I was fourteen. Yeah, I uh, I had to go. You know, for honestly, for a while. I mean, even through middle school, I had this really bad habit of I would get assigned homework, and then immediately I would forget that I had homework. And it would drive my parents crazy because they'd be like, oh my gosh, how do you get so many you know, homework warning slips or whatever, but yet you don't do your homework, but yet you pass the class with a hundred percent. I'm like, I don't know. I just read the book and then I know it. And you know, it would drive my parents and my teachers crazy because like, I've always had like a really high learning curve for stuff. Um, and um, one day my mom was just like, enough, we need to go to the doctor. We need to figure this out. This is crazy. And so they take me to a neurologist and like they stick me in like an EEG, you know, rig me up with all that and they're scanning my brain. And sure enough, the doctor's like, okay, so here's a normal scan and here's you. And, you know, it's of course like wildly different. And I'm like, well, ah, what's wrong with me? And they're like, well, you have ADHD. Your brain just processes things differently and kind of abstractly and all over the place. I'm like, okay, so like, am I broken? Like, how do we fix it? It's, it's, like, it's not something you fix. It's just something about who you are. Um, and of course that didn't really like register with me. Like all I took that as is my brain's fucked and my teachers hate me for it. Right. So they tried putting me on like Adderall and Concerta and all that stuff and it didn't work. And honestly, it turned me into a zombie. Um, and I, it's always kind of uncomfortable when people are like, oh, man, I was tripping on Adderall last weekend. And, you know, just take that, and it makes me, like, just get in the zone. And I'm like, yeah, it literally ruins my life. Like, I'm not me anymore if I take Adderall, and it's not fun. But, you know, we stopped taking that because um, 
turns out then all these research came out and said, hey, if, if an adolescent male takes that, they're at high risk for a heart attack before 18. So, you know, I haven't taken any medicine for it since then, but it's always been a struggle because like legit, there will be times where people have talked to me and it's like the information goes in and just doesn't get processed and just goes right back out because I'm focusing on something else. Um, yeah, I totally and, get that. That's part of why I'm so terrible with names is like, I'll talk to a band and they, they'll tell me all their names. I'll be like, hi, Bill. Hi, Todd. Hi, Tom. And then two seconds later, it's like they never even spoke to me because my mind is on something else. The frustrating, I think the worst part is that, so I've also, I have a photographic memory. Um, and I mean, to the point where like, I can remember stuff from when I was like two. Um, but the problem with that is that we combine that with ADHD and I will legit wake up one day and be like, why do I know this? Because it'll be something that's happened and I just, it didn't register in my head. And then long-term memory, it's like I know this thing happened and I can't explain why that happened or like that feeling of like when you're driving a car and then you're somewhere else. And I'm like, did I really just days off and like on autopilot drive to this place? And it's kind of, freaky. Oh, I've been there. Like that's so freaky. Like- and I keep, and I keep thinking that like, okay, it just means like you're tired or whatever. And other people are like, no, that's extremely not normal. Like you are a weirdo. <laughs> so Yeah. Like, I've been there. Like I had no idea that was an AHD thing. I thought that was normal. Like I really didn't realize that either. And people are like, no, like you're fixated on something else in your mind. But like you're subconsciously, you still continue the task you were doing, which is driving the car to the place. Like I've been in like traffic, just weaving through traffic while I'm thinking about, huh, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? I look up, I'm like, oh shit, I missed my exit by like five miles. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, it's a challenge with that sometimes because I mean, even to this day, like my wife will be like, hey, don't forget to... And you know exactly what happens. I don't hear any of that. And I immediately forget to do whatever it was, you know, pick up eggs from Aldi or something. Um, but yeah, so that's been a challenge. Um, and then, uh, I mean, but it's a fun challenge, honestly, because there are, it's, it's at least something that like now is coming to light. Like, hey, this is a thing. And it's not like, ooh, it's rare, it's freaky. And it's like, it's, it's, n- it's not an uncommon thing. And, you know, people deal with that. Um, they manage that in different ways. Yeah. But depression, on the other hand, uh, I think you just froze there. Um, and I mentioned that, you know, I, I had pretty poor taste in relationships until I met my wife. And um, that really drove me into a cycle of, you know, feeling unworthy about a lot of things. And it just, you know, my eating habits changed. And I'm sure that that affected my body chemistry and stuff. And so, you know, the clinical depression um, essentially started to kind of set in a little bit. Um, and, you know, for for the longest time, you know, I would just wake up and not feel capable of, like, doing anything but, like, taking a shit and going back to bed because I just didn't yeah. want to do life. And it's an awful way of existing. Um, for sure. But, you know, you, 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 you muscle through it. Um, but one thing that did occur is when I joined the, you know, 911 system and the fire service and all that, um, that exposed me to a lot of things that, you know, when you're in school to be an EMT, 
or a firefighter or both, they tell you up front. They're like, you will see a lot of bad stuff. And you have to learn how to cope with it. And that's the word that they use, cope with it. And instead of like, you have to learn how to manage it. And I really wish that they would teach manage versus cope. Because managing means you're not... You're, you're handling it. You're not just getting by. Exactly. Like... Managing it means you have a plan to do something about it. Coping means you're tolerating it and letting it build up. Um, but anyway, they tell you that this will happen and you need to cope with it because this is part of the job. And they talked about like, you know, suicide rates of you know, firefighters and paramedics and cops and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, as a bright, bushy-eyed, like you're not even an EMT yet, you're like, yeah, whatever, that won't happen to me. And you start doing the job. And you see lots of bad things because that's your job, to be there for the bad thing. And over time, you know, as I found out, it starts to bother you, but not necessarily irritate you, bother you in the sense of, for whatever reason, you begin to engage in like poor behavior traits. You know, everybody wants to go out and drink. So you start going out to drink, right? It's not because you decided to drink. It's because the existing coworkers are saying, hey, go do this with us. It's the support group. So you go out and drink. You go out and party. You uh, blow off steam because the day was rough. And you do this over and over and over and over and over. And it becomes, now it's not just a way to blow off steam. Now it's a habit. Now it's it's necessary. It's, I don't feel included if I don't do it. I'm going to feel alone if I don't do it. And that, of course, also changes your body chemistry. And the reason I keep saying body chemistry is, like, from a medical standpoint, like, um, depression happens from a chemical imbalance, Right. And I am a wholehearted believer that those chemical imbalances occur based on our lifestyle. Um, you know, there are some hereditary types of depression and stuff, but for the most part, yeah, a lot I've, of people, you know, I've, with, I've inherited that from my family. So there are, yeah, there, there are, there there are hereditary that. things, um, but for a lot of people, their lifestyle choices have influenced their body chemistry, which changes chemicals, your neuroreceptors in your brain. But anyway, all that being aside, science, um, you know, you, you engage in those particular behaviors and, and you start changing as a person um, to where, you know, now it's just, it's a part of your life, right? Um, and, you know, other things happen. Now your behavior changes, like in terms of how you interact with people, your relationships change and all that. Um, and when I finally um, got out of the fire service, you know, I was a different person and not necessarily good or bad, but different. And I wasn't comfortable with how that was, you know, but at the same time I was like, yeah, but it's not like it's PTSD. Like PTSD is for like soldiers who get blown up and stuff. Like I'm, you know, I was just a firefighter paramedic, like no biggie. Um, but I realized that like my behavior, you know, in my relationships, whether it's my wife or my kid or, you know, my friends or whatever. And I didn't like how that was. And I was like, well, why am I like this? Like, why am I lashing out? Why am I experiencing all these mood swings? Like, why am I so critical? Or why is everything have me on edge? And that's really the thing that that drove me to like, okay, I need a doctor was because like the zero to 100 feeling was all the time. And we're, we're meant to have a fight or flight syndrome as humans, like that's part of our survival mechanism. The problem is that should not be on constantly. And so for people with, you know, who, who struggle with those PTSD things, 
um, whether it's the anxiety or the depression or both or, you know, the mania, it's because your body's fight or flight is always on. In reality, it should be like 10% of the time on, if that, right? We want to avoid danger. Um, but, you know, what would I'd find myself doing, which was driving me nuts, was, you know, I'd stub my toe and it would be like the same physical reaction as if someone stabbed me. Or, you know, I would be irritated by something like let's say someone some dingus doesn't just get out of my way fast enough in a parking lot right and i'm treating it with the same response as someone is shooting a gun at me and that's when i was like okay like it's not like flashbacks necessarily or whatever but it's the fact that that response of my body and response of my mind is not appropriate for the situation that i was in and that's when i was like okay i i need to do something to fix this so and I started seeing a doctor, and it was not a therapist. It was just a normal doctor. Um, um, but this doctor is particularly different. She's functional medicine. And I said, hey, you know, these things are happening, like, whatever. So she runs, like, some labs and stuff. And, you know, she's like, wow, your stress levels are, like, off the chart. And I was like, oh, haha, that's funny. She's like, no, literally, like, the number is so high, you exceeded the scale you know, in terms of like the cortisol response in your body. And I was like, well, what the hell is that about? You know, as, as I get more anxious immediately, right? She's like, well, I think like based on the stuff that you've described to me that you you suffer from anxiety and and manic depression and PTSD. And I was like, that's impossible. Like, I am not that guy. And she's like, okay, but think about it. The fact that you don't want to acknowledge these things is indicative of the fact that you have these things and i'm like i guess like so how does one fix that right she's like well you need to talk to someone you need to go see someone that is specialized in managing this stuff so recently i've you know elected to do that and i think it helps and you know this is again part of why i write the music that i do is i know there are a ton of people out there that have felt this way uh not necessarily from the fire service, but from, you know, from serving in the military, um, from experiencing traumatic events, um, from all sorts of stuff. And I was like, well, if I know a way to put that feeling, that imagery into music that other people can relate to, then maybe that can help someone. And so that's why, you know, that's how I ended up where I, where I've ended up. And that's why I've kind of been, like I said, that's where kind of like the voice of the voiceless came from because for the longest time I was absolutely terrified to give myself that like diagnosis, quote unquote. Right. Um, because, you know, aside from all the other things that I do in life, whatever, um, I am an avid gun enthusiast and, you know, I like shooting. Um, you know, I did some competitive shooting for a little while. Um, I've never been hunting. I would like to go. I don't know anything about it, which is why I've never been. I wish someone would take me and teach me some things. Um, and then, you know, for self-defense purposes. Um, and for a little while, um, I actually managed a, a retail um, firearms store in Largo. And, you know, so I feel very strongly about, you know, firearms ownership and all that. And I also have seen on the flip side, like what happens um, when people get those labels and then people take stuff away, you know, and whether or not that's right or wrong, I don't, I'm not sure I have a full formed opinion on that, but um, I didn't want that to happen to me because I, you know, even regardless of recreationally, 
you know, protecting my family is paramount to me. So like, no, you're not going to take my, you know, means of protection from a house out of my home. Um, so like, that's why I was always uh, scared about like, Ooh, I don't know if I want to go and talk about stuff because what if they call me crazy and try to, you know, raid my house for whatever reason. So it was always a challenge to like weigh that in the balance, which is another thing with like weed, right? Like, you know, uh, it's, it's such a, you can't have a concealed weapons permit in Florida and also have a marijuana card. But last time I checked, like marijuana, you're just going to be glued to the couch and eating Fritos, right? But people... Yeah, marijuana doesn't make you agitated. Right, but people can be loaded up on Xanax, Seroquel, and other psychotropics, downing it with a bottle of wine, and run out to the gun store. Yeah, That's crazy. Yeah, you can, you can have a prescription for Adderall and have a gun. That's what I'm saying. It's like, and, you know, Adderall is, is literally legal meth, and yet we yeah. can be loading people up on that, and then they can run down and get, you know, whatever they want to buy at the gun store. Which, I mean, aside from substances, like, I'm a firm believer that anybody should be able to purchase whatever they want, but not while you're currently under the influence of a substance. And I think that's just a no-brainer, right? Like, if I can't drive while under the influence of alcohol, why should I be driving under the influence of other, like, things that specifically mess with your head? And, you know, so... That always really bothered me. Like those conflicting interests made it hard for me to accept help, which is another frustrating yeah. thing. Is like I feel like there is a way that all three of those, you know, different worlds can coexist, but you know, yeah. you want to take things to the extreme. But anyway, that's why it was so difficult, right? And I hate that there's those yeah. barriers. And so like part of what I try to do with my music is break down some of those barriers or at least open a conversation about it. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to um, kind of expand on that, I actually looked into it. And if not for my medical marijuana card, even though I think we could all agree on some common sense gun laws, like you should be able to pass a background check. You should be able, if you have tons of mental illness or a history of like being on place on a psych hold or something or yeah. Violent like crimes or something, you probably shouldn't have. Well, a yeah, weapon. absolutely. If you commit but, a violent crime, like I don't want you having a gun, I don't want you having anything. I yeah. obviously want you to stay locked up because you're a dirtbag. But I yeah, mean, there's absolutely. Also just, like, so yeah, problems in our there's yeah, absolutely. I agree. And um, and the first gun gun laws were passed in retaliation to the Black Panther Party. Yeah, because they didn't want my, minorities with guns. Well, actually, because they would rise up. What's really wild is literally all gun control in the U.S. has stemmed out of um, racism, because back when Absolutely. the National Firearms Act was passed in 1923, it was specifically so that um, blacks in the South could not easily purchase a firearm, um, or if they did, it needed to be registered, so they knew exactly where it was and who had it. Um, and, you know, thanks to, you know, Jim Crow laws, it basically allowed people to go into those people's homes, confiscate said firearms, and then abuse, lynch, torture those people. So, you know, and then when they, when they passed further laws, like in, um, the fifties, uh, where they revised the National Firearms Act, it's, it was the same thing. Like you said, you know, the Black Panther Party, um, you know, they did not like those people owning guns. And then when they passed, um you know, like the Brady Handgun Act, when they passed um, the Machine Gun Ban of 86. You know, all those things were in retaliation to minorities owning firearms. And it's frustrating. 
absolutely. I completely agree. Like, it's because, well, lava laws here are, are fines that you have to pay. And fines are basically meaning it's illegal to do this if you're poor, but it's legal if you're rich. Oh, absolutely. I hate the concept of fines. Like, yeah, like either I, make I it agree. a real crime or it's not a crime. And, yeah, and like a real crime needs to be justified with its punishment per the Constitution, right? And if you can't justify it with real punishment in court, then it shouldn't be a crime. Absolutely. But um, it's kind of path by this, but um, so kind of something I've learned in my mental health journey. And if I had any advice for anybody who's kind of getting on the same path that you went through or that I went through, is that whoever you have in your life should love you as you and with part of you being your mental illness or I hate the word mental illness. I mean, the things that make you unique, not in spite of those things, mm -hmm. I... because that's partially why I grew up to hate myself is because I thought all these things make me different. And then once I started to, get into relationships in college, the people I found myself involved with, they'd say things that make me feel like, well, I love you. It's just when you're manic or when you're depressed or when you're irritable because you're ADHD, I don't. So that's the kind of fucked up thing is I love you in spite of your mental illness. Right. Whereas the thing is that if you look at my pictures, you see autism, you see my bipolar disorder, you see my ADHD. Like my pictures will not look like my pictures if I was a different person, my eye would be different. My perspective would be different. Mm -hmm. So really when it comes to art, as does your music, it's really just a combination of all the things that make you, you, and you can't love me without me being me. So if I could give any information to a kid or just to anybody starting their mental health journey is that you can't just hate part of you. If you hate a part of you, you hate your whole self. Right. You have to accept, I am bipolar, I am depressed, I have anxiety, or I have autism, I have ADHD. You have to accept that as part of you, and then that's how you move forward. And this is even something I really thought about until like this past week or so, and I'm really glad I did. Yeah, absolutely. I have, I, you know, growing up biracial, I was always just like hating my outward appearance because I was just like, you know, I'm not, you know, to some people, I'm not black enough. To some people, I'm not white enough. Or to some people, I'm neither of those things. They think I'm Mexican or, you know, other, some other Hispanic, you know, or Puerto Rican or whatever. And I'm just like, are you serious right now? <laughs> but so, you know, so for the longest time, I, I literally hated like the visage of me, like any sort of picture of me or anything, because all I could think about was how I wasn't like enough for certain people. And it honestly was not even until this COVID world where I finally became comfortable with like who I look like um, because of this whole like Black Lives Matter thing. And I, you know, whether you feel one way or another about that organization, because honestly, as an organization, they're scumbags, but um, the intent behind it that, you know, Black Lives Matter you know, and all these people coming out in support of, you know, minorities, um, especially also, you know, like when people were, were ripping on like Chinese Americans, you know, blaming, blaming yeah, Chinese COVID. restaurants for COVID, like you insane 
boomer redneck fuck. Like you got to be kidding me. Like what do the what do people making fried rice in your neighborhood have to do with COVID? Stop. Anyway, I'm getting on a rant. Um, I saw all this outward support though, like really quality support for like just people of color, minorities of all types, uh, and 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 you know, I was just like, yo. Okay, so you know what? It is okay for me to be me. Like, there are people, like, vehemently in support of that. So you know what? I'm going to embrace it. Like, I'm finally okay with it. Um, Which is part of why, like, you know, I I decided to, I was going to do dreadlocks and things like that. Um, Because I was just, you know, for the longest time, I felt like I had to be someone else. And it wasn't until I was freaking, what, 30 years old that I was okay with how I looked. Um, regardless of my weight, regardless of my tattoos or any of that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I was so frustrated with, with who I was as a person because I had been told for the longest time that, you know, that wasn't good enough from both sides, not even from white, just white people, like the amount of black community people where they were, where there was like, yeah, but you're not really one of us. And I was like, what the fuck? Like. You know, like I, even, even while I was down here, I joined a gun club that was with the intent of, you know, African-American gun ownership. And I was like, oh, this is cool. This is exciting. Right. Um, I didn't even know this was a thing, but let's go support. Let's see what it's about. And I joined and I was all hyped up until I realized that like, I still like, wasn't one of them. You know what I mean? And it was frustrating, Mm -hmm. like feeling that way because like, you know, for the longest time, like. I, I would train, I would go and take firearms courses, whether it's marksmanship or competitive shooting or whatever. And, you know, it sucks. It absolutely sucks pulling up to the range and being the only brown dude, you know, and everyone's got like, you know, these crazy ass, like super neocon kind of stickers in their car. And I get it because that's the, the bulk of that world. But it sucked because I felt like I still couldn't be me, you know. But then on the flip side, like, um, you know, I, I went to a, I went to a Knicks game once when I lived in Jersey and like just the amount of looks that I got, it was just like, oh, like you're trying to be black, but you're not actually black. And it just it bothered me. But now it doesn't. Cause I'm just like, fuck you. I'm me, you know? Um, but I get what it's like where, where in the sense of, you know, you have to love all of you for sure. You can't just love part of you. Yeah. You have to love all of you. And regardless of what that is, you need to love you. Because who else can be you, right? Aside from being even twins, right? Twins have their own personalities. Yeah. So you're you, and you need to love you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not sure how much probably you want to dive down this road, but do you think you found your community within the local music scene, or do you feel as a musician who is black that there is still like some othering going on like does that do you think that makes it harder for you in some ways or or do you think this community is so accepting where it it isn't i mean racism does play a part in just about everything within the system in this country but do you think so i'll be you know do you think it makes it harder for you i'll be straight up it really depends there are elements in like for example and i will just call it out in the metal community especially like death metal, that whole community, yep. holy fuck, is it racist? Like, and, and ironically black metal. Yeah. Too. Like, and, and it's, and that's not saying every single person that's in the death metal scene. I'm just saying 
part and parcel, there are a big, there's a big proportion of people that are okay with judging you based on your looks in that scene. And I know it for a fact, having played in bands uh, in that scene, where like you just like people just look at you and they're just like, ugh, like they can't believe that like you're trying to fit in with them or something. And it's like, dude, I don't give a fuck. First off, I'm being paid to be here because I'm subbing in for a band. But secondly, like, fuck you. Heavy is heavy. Metal is metal. Like, why are you being a dick, right? Um, so yeah, death metal, that, I'm, that's where I've experienced it the most. But I'll be real with you. Like, metalcore, dude, okay, before Oceano, right? I don't know if you know that band, but before Oceano. And, and, yeah, I know them. They just released a song. And, you know, with the exception of maybe, like, Killswitch and and who am I thinking of? Skindred and Seven Dust, right? Um, aside from those really big names, right? So as a independent artist where you're small, you're trying to play early 2000s metalcore back in the day, bro, they look at you crazy if you're trying to be a singer. Absolutely crazy. They're just like, you're out of your fucking mind because you're not going to be wanting oh, to yeah. be a singer and you're certainly not going to scream. And I'm just like, Okay, I guess I'll just shut up and play my Schecter Hellraiser or whatever you want me to do, right? Um, yeah, I think it's come a lot like back then. I feel like metalcore was as much about the aesthetic. Oh, it was a hundred percent. Like as... if you didn't fit that exact image, like fuck off. And so me, as a short, you know, kind of stoutly built biracial kid, like that ain't happening. Like no, you're not getting in front of a metal band or a metalcore band. You know, especially any sort of Rise Records, Victory Records type band, right? But on the flip side, the punk scene has always been there for me. You know, I, when I played like skate punk in high school, nobody had a problem with me. They just want you to shut up and play, right? And yell oi. <laughs> and and then um, you know, same thing. Like uh when I moved down here, I you know, I didn't really do punk cuz I didn't know who to where to look, whatever. And I, when I started playing with Wrath and the Wise Guys, like, got introduced to this whole world of punk in, in Tampa Bay. And I was like, yo, these are my people. Like, immediately, like, from day one of playing with Wrath and the Wise Guys, though that whole scene made me feel like this was 100% where I belong. And um, that was an amazing feeling. And I just want to say a quick shout-out to uh, the Horribles, um, Pasco Punks, woo, um, and Drake, the lead singer, um, because... Those guys essentially gave me my musical home. They made me feel like, okay, I belong here, and I'm doing what I'm gonna do. What I'm gonna do. Um, so, I mean, and rightfully so, because the punk scene. Let's be real, all right. Um, black people invented the the bestest of musics, all right. We invented rock and roll. Uh, we invented punk. We invented hardcore. Um, so, I mean, like you know, I grew up uh, idolizing um bad brains and living color um mainly because of my mom because she's like yo check out these rad bands you're gonna love them and i did um but the punk scene has never let me down you know and i mean i get it like you know nazi punks fuck off is there for a reason but at the same time that punk scene has never failed me so that's where i'm at with it and that's part of why i play punk rock and that's why i say that i'm punk rock you know, even if it doesn't necessarily sound like traditional, you know, belongs on fat records, I will always stand by it and it's always going to be my home because those guys have never once made me feel out of place. And in fact, they ran at me with open arms saying, yes, you belong here and we want you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Just a quick aside, have you listened to the band Stray from the Past? Oh my god, it's one of my favorites, dude. Let's talk about hardcore oh, it's real so quick. Fucking good. Let's talk about hardcore real quick for a sec. The hardcore yeah. scene, while not necessarily as, as vehemently like, yeah, we want you, right? Because the hardcore scene can be a little clicky at times, let's be real. Yeah. But yeah. same thing though, those guys don't put up with shit. And they won't tolerate yeah, like, nothing. They will, and they will beat the shit out of each other. They'll punch each other in the face. But if you're being racist, they'll yeah, actively they will, fuck they you will up. They mess up your whole life. And I'm for it. And I always loved New York hardcore. You know, I grew up with like Madball, Terror, all that kind of stuff. Um, like I said, my my you know my buddy Wade plays in Silent Seagulls Death. Go check them out. Mafia, Cropsy, all them. Um, but also down here. When I finally did go to a Tampa hardcore show, I got my world rocked, and I love it. So I'm also going to say a quick shout-out to Tactosa, Head High, Malice Strikes. Y'all are legit. Oh, and the Grieve. Grieve is rad. Um, and mm, mm, I'm, I'm sure there's other ones, too. Illuminate Me. They're cool. They're, they're back from yeah, the dead. I- and, uh, yeah, those guys you know and gals because there are a lot of girls in that scene and they kick ass good for them yeah um but yeah the hardcore scene and the punk scene like they they feel like family you know the metal always feels like i'm competing for no reason because i hate that whole concept like i'm not trying to beat you if i like yeah if i if i ever feel like i've got to compete with a band in my own neighborhood then, like, first off, I'm doing it wrong because I should be kicking that much ass that I shouldn't be worried about it. I should be secure in what I'm doing, right? But secondly, why? Why am I competing with that? Shouldn't I aim higher? Shouldn't I be, like, aiming to be the best band in Florida, the best band in the Southeast, right? If I'm going to think in that competition, competitive mindset, why the heck would I settle for, quote-unquote, small fries, right? That's dumb. Like, so, like, it makes no sense to be competitive, right? But those guys, like I said, the punk and the hardcore scenes, they feel like family. And and they act like it, and they treat everyone in it like it. And so, I mean, you can't go wrong with either of those. Yeah, I completely agree. And with the metal stuff that you said, like, it's almost like competition. Like, there's the same shit in photography. There's people, like, sneak dissing and other photographers and, like, trying to, like, punch down to get ahead. Like, no, if... I receive knowledge from people who have done it more than me, and I pass the knowledge on to people who have done it even less than yeah. me because I want there to be as many great photographers as possible because my goal isn't to make money and get big, even though I would like both those things. My goal is to help music as a whole make a positive impact on music, and I'm not doing that if I'm talking shit about people, if I'm bringing other photographers down. So I totally get it. Um, but I do want to say, like, I don't like, want to just sound like I'm just hating on the metal scene because there are quality, yeah. quality people in the metal scene in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, I can think of some great bands right off the top of my head. Uh, that's like um, Consume the Wolf, for example. Awesome Body dude. Snatcher. Body Snatcher is kick-ass. Um, Fabricate. I know they're not from Tampa Bay, but they are amazingly nice guys. Um but like specifically Tampa bands, let's see again. Um, what is the name of that? Oh, geez, it's gonna drive me nuts. Well, I mean Virginia Rose Band, of course, they're my homies. Um, but like uh, Humanity Gone, um, 
Oh my goodness, I can't think of any metal bands off the bat. I shoot bands from nuts. Tampa all the time and I this can't This is what happens when you meet any. too many musicians. Like you start like complying. It, it, it just jumble. kinda blends in. Yeah. Um it's gonna it's gonna Oh Blood honestly, of Angels. That's who I'm trying to get off the tip of my tongue. Blood of Angels, nice dudes. Um always really supportive. Uh must not kill. I don't necessarily think they're metal though. They're they're more in like Anyway, the point is there are great people in the metal scene. I just wish it wasn't yeah. so like backbitey because those guys get buried under all the drama. And really, if the, all that drama and bullshit wasn't there, then all those like really awesome, well-deserving of the attention dudes would be rising to the top. You know what I mean? But they're too busy. They're, there's too many people trying to create problems in that scene that then the real homies get swept under the rug. And that's what I don't like. Yeah, um, for example, like where I'm at, the Fort Myers area, we have more of, I'd say, a punk scene rather than a metal scene mm-hmm. in terms of the music that's around us. I mean, mainly the biggest bands at Ollie's, for example, are bands like Go Read Theory, where which are folk punk or kind of some alt-rock type stuff. But even the alt-rock type stuff, like there's a DIY punk attitude of the bands that go through yeah. there like especially bands like you guys like there's a diy attitude towards ollies and i think part of being diy is that diy is not only lifting yourself up from nothing it's lifting your peers up oh from yeah no- for from sure nothing. and i've had an amazing time at ollies every single time and i know some people were like oh man it's such a small place i'm like yo but you're not gonna have a bad time there like you can't play a show. The same and be people upset. that would say that could never fill Ollie's. But even still, it's always a thing. Even if it's not full, it still ends up being fun. Like I don't understand how you can leave Ollie's. No, in that, that's attitude. what I'm. Like, that's what I'm saying is that people complain about Ollie's being small, but the same bands that do that don't don't fill don't fill the listen, place. Listen, so, like, I'll take small yourself. and jam packed any yeah. day over a massive stage that has like you know more floor space than people. That's a problem. Like. Like I'd rather I'd rather be at a concert at somewhere like Grumpy's or Ollie's where the place is jam packed than be at Brass Mug or the Orpheum and there only be like twenty yeah, people man, there. Yeah, man, it like, is depressing to play Brass Mug in front of twenty people, and it's happened. You know, especially when you're starting yeah. out, like you know, you go through that. But yeah, you know, people need to I think just appreciate. First off, someone every time that you play a show, regardless of ticket sales. That business owner is sticking their neck out for you and betting on you to be successful. And like you should take that as a compliment. You should take that as confidence in like what you're doing and be excited and let's be honest, promote the hell out of it because they as a yep. business owner are taking a massive risk on you, right? They have to pay staff, they have to pay a massive bar bill usually. They have a liquor license they have to fund, right? And so like those venues are going out of their way and sticking their neck out for you and taking on risk for you to play your music. So if you can't appreciate the small guys who really are the ones like eating a lot of crow, like every time they hook you up, right? Like places like Ollie's or Lou's or whatever, or even Shovelhead, you know, or Brass Mug, whatever. It's like you need to acknowledge the fact that like, we could certainly not have these opportunities and only have places like Janice live or only have places like, Oh, that'd be so shitty. Places like Ace cafe, which is like a thousand cap room. Right. And then you as a new artist 
you never get to play because you ain't good enough yet. So, like, appreciate the small places because those guys are taking you to where you want to go. You just have to put in some work. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think it's good to have high aspirations, but if your aspirations give you arrogance to the point where you think you are above playing certain venues, mm-hmm. then, like, you're not built for this scene. You're not built for lo- for, for getting out of the local music scene because bands that do make it out, like, per se, by Snatcher, they're, they're touring the country, they're touring the world. You you know those dudes gotta be humble as fuck and like respect their beginnings. Like they play Slam House, they do shit like mm-hmm. that. Like yeah, like they they everybody starts somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it's you know it's just like you have to take small steps to take big steps, and that's an okay thing. Like there really shouldn't be anything wrong with that. Like now, if you only take those small steps and you've been at it for like ten years, but your goal is to like blow up, well then maybe you need to reevaluate your process, right? Or make better music, or both. But, like, yeah, if you're if you're doing all the right things otherwise, but you can't respect the fact that, like, you have to, you can't just skip steps. Like, you need to, you know, progress and grow, then it's going to be hard. Yeah, it's just, I feel like your intentions have to match your aspirations and your actions do as well. Because if a band hits me up and they're like, man... We need your help marketing us. We'd love your photos. And I took a look at their Instagram page and they don't have a post since February 2020. I'm like, what the hell are you even trying to do right. here? And I mean, I get it. Like, if, if, if you, you play like, like learning that stuff, then that's when you say like, okay, here's where I'm at. I haven't posted yeah. since February 2020 because I'm scared or I don't know how to make a good social media post. I don't know how to make something engaging. Okay. Ask for help. Like the amount of people who will actually say yes to an educational moment is way higher than someone who comes off as expecting like a free ride along on someone else's back. Absolutely. I completely agree. Like if you only play three show, three shows a year and you think you're going to blow up, you need to like reevaluate. So like, I just think I don't want to shoot on local artists, but like I said, I don't shoot people unless I believe in what they're doing. And I want people to hire me unless they believe in what I'm doing. So, like, there has to be that mutual respect there. I believe it's the same thing for you being a band. You don't want to play with a band that's just there for shits and giggles. Well, I mean, it depends. Because, I mean, I've played with some bands that are just, you know, there for casual fun. I mean, I'm I mean okay yeah. I mean, like, 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 there are bands, like, that aren't trying to blow up. But I mean that they, but they still take their music yeah. seriously. Like they're, I'll they're give not you, there I'll just, give you a great just to run through the motions. So we went on tour, we you know a little mini weekend tour um, with our friends in Arcane Arcade, and they are awesome dudes. Um, and they all have, let's be real, they have really nice jobs, and they like what they yeah. do, and they like their life. But they also love making punk rock, right? And uh, we played. Um, with them a couple nights, and they flat out were just like, nah, we want you to have the the proceeds. And I was like, what? And they're like, dude, this is just for fun for us. We're just having a blast out here doing our thing with friends. Like, you're out here trying to make yeah. shit happen. You need the funds to keep going. And so, like, Absolutely, in that respect, yeah. you know, like, I can totally get down yeah. with people who want to play for funsies. Um, yeah, that's true. But, you know, like you said, the intent needs to be clear, right? 
And I know that those yeah, guys, that's... they just want to have fun and take their music wherever it takes them. They're kind of, you know, like traveling band of gypsies. Like, whatever happens, happens, man. Right? But, like, for me, yeah, like... I'm a, I have, like, some objectives that, like, I am going to meet this goal one way or another. And um, that may drive some people crazy or rub them the wrong way or whatever. But it's like, you know what? I know what I want out of my music. So I'm going to do everything within my power to accomplish those goals. And that might get rough around the edges sometimes, but that's my objective. And that's where my priorities lie. And, you know, maybe they, maybe some people who get upset by that are upset by it because they don't understand it or they don't think that way about their own music. Maybe, I don't know. Um, It's not really my place or I honestly don't care because at the end of the day, I'm going to go after my goal, you know, but for people that want to play for fun, like, yeah, that's okay too. Yeah. The only thing that I ask from bands that are like doing it casual is, Hey, just put in some effort when we're working together. Right. So like if a band's like, Hey, we just do it for fun, but like we need a show, you know, we we don't really get to do this often. Like, yeah, all I ask is promote, make sure you put up some flyers somewhere tell your friends, invite people out, actually get people to show up. And like, we ain't got any problems. You know, I'm for it. I'm I'm for anybody who wants to make music. It's just, hey, while we're at it, like, don't fuck over any of my efforts if I'm going to promote this show for you, right? Like, I need it to be a 50-50 deal. Like, I'm going to do my best, but I want you to do your best. Even if it's infrequently because you're casual, I still want you to do your best when when we do something together. Yeah, there still has to be an intention behind it. Even if your intention is go out, have fun, give the audience a good time, that's still an intention. It's just when there is an intention, I feel like there's no meaning behind the music. I've told you a little bit behind that. And and to go a bit further, what you said, like how intense you are kind of rubs you the wrong way. I've had the same thing issue happen where I've had great shoots for bands, but maybe they don't like the fact that I'm very intense about what I do. I I don't just send them, hey, can I shoot you guys? And then message them the photos, and here's my cash app. I ask them questions. Would you rather have it like this, this, or this, or mm-hmm. this? Or how do you feel about this, this, or this, or this? And I kind of like try to build a personal relationship so it's something, because I don't view it as working for a band. I view it as working with a exactly. band. Exactly. And and I think that's the, that's, the, that's the way you have to go about it if you want to get anywhere in this business. You don't think of it as working for somebody. Think of it as working with somebody. Um, yeah, absolutely. And especially as a photographer, right? You have this unique perspective into their their world, right? So it does need to be more of like a relationship. Um, because, you know, it's not just like, hey, we need some shirts printed. So bam, 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 you know, here's the billing, call it a day, right? Like, you're trying to capture a moment, you're trying to express what they express visually instead of, you know, with music. So yeah, you need to understand that 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 artist, and I a hundred percent agree. And honestly, I wish more photographers would do that. They'd be like, "Is there a certain vibe you want me to communicate? Like, is there a certain like style you want me to go after?" You know, and I know that some artists aren't going to do that because they have their own style. They're established, right? So, like for example, if someone told me they're like, "Hey man, um, like who do you like? Who do you know that's good at photography?" Right. And it's a band that's like just kind of chill, relax, whatever. I probably wouldn't recommend you. I would recommend someone else, right? But if they're a band 
that I know is like pretty active on stage, pretty you know physical. I'm going to skip over quite a few photographers and recommend you because I know that you and the relationship that we have, you understand like what it's like to capture like a kinetic moment. You know what I mean? Um, and it's because of that relationship that we have. So like, you know, an artist, you know, a, a musician you know, or a band and whoever is doing their visuals, they do have to have some sort of connection there. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So, just to kind of say on like the same kind of messaging we're on. So you're the promoter slash booker slash person that helps run the vault DIY. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't have like an official title there, but I'm definitely known. As, but I just mean you help yeah, run I'm shit. I'm definitely known as that guy that books at the vault. Yeah. So like for me, I'm starting to write music. Um, my other host, Ryan, he's up in an upstarting band. Like, do you have any advice for people who are just starting out and just trying to write music for the first time and are trying to get booked for the first time? Um, well, yeah. I mean, it's a two-pronged question, right? But in terms of writing yeah. music, my advice would be when you're starting out brand new at writing, you need to go and pull up songs that you like from other bands, but specifically like their chord charts, right? See what they did because you already know you like that sound. Then take those kinds of ideas and concepts and not necessarily copy them, right? But start playing around with them. See what you can change about it. See if you can improve upon it. See if you can find something that fits you, right? Um, for the longest yeah. time, I was just like, I don't know how to write a song, but I'm going to write a song. So the first thing that I did was I looked up how to play a song I already knew I liked, which in this case, it was um, Helena from My Chemical Romance. And I was just like, okay, how did they do it? And then I would try and like basically like reverse engineer it, but in my own way. Um, yeah, that's that's the same thing I did. I recently wrote my first song, and for whatever reason, the song "Driven Under" by Seether was in my okay. head. And I kind of, I kind of took their melody that I kind of had in my head and like their kind of chord structure, and I took it and I kind of made my own spin on it. So I think it's good to have that inspiration and kind of do what you will with it. But like, uh, you can get back to like, yeah, booking, you know, explaining it. I just wanted to mm -hmm. kind of put my, you know, personal perspective so on it. So booking is an entirely different animal, and I definitely have like kind of a unique perspective on booking, um, because quite honestly, I don't care where I play, and I know that that can be a two-edged sword. So for someone starting out, and they're like, "How does my band get booked?" Um, the first thing I would do is say, "Okay, do you know your scene? Like, is there?" a spot where independent artists play, where unsigned artists play. If so, you need to go get there and watch a show. And if you're not doing that already, that's a problem. You need to fix it, right? You need to make friends because this is how you get booked is by having friends. Um, and people are constantly, like, all the time, like, how the hell do you book so much stuff? And it's honestly not anything to do with my ability to book a show. It has 100% to do with I'm constantly saying hello to strangers when I'm at stuff. And I will tell you this. It's the same way with photography. Mm -hmm. It's as much about who you are friends with, who you make friends with at shows, as it is about your talent. If I made the same kick-ass photos, but I never said hi to anybody, I never hit anybody Correct. up, I never made these connections, and like with you, for example, like then I would have never gotten booked. Like, um, For example, with Neverless... I think I could say it, but um, they, they had a tour this past June, and when I first got started in photography, 
I hit them up asking if if they had any shows I could shoot. And they're like, well, we're actually going on tour in June and we'd like you to shoot some of those shows. And I hit them up closer to June. They have respond like, oh, fuck. Well, I guess they don't want me anymore. But I hit them up in July and I shot a show for mm-hmm. them. And they had me shoot another show for them. And they had me shoot another show for oh, yeah. them. And now I have some pretty cool announcements coming up. So like just building that relationship and not really giving up is like the biggest thing I would give. And, and I have given that advice is hit up as many people as possible. Become friends with as many artists as possible. Cause I know like you've rec- I've seen you recommend me to people. I've seen Cody recommend me to people. Like mm-hmm. it's just, and it's the same way for photographers as it's for yeah. bands. And the other thing I would say is that like, you know, it's okay to ask questions. Like everyone started somewhere. Right. And while, yeah, it's easy as cake for me now, I just send a text and boom, I play whenever I want. You know, it's, you have to start somewhere. And so it is plenty okay as a band starting out to message another band and be like, hey, how do I play at wherever? I still do it all the time. I saw a band that I like play down in Pompano Beach at this place that we're going to play in September called the Black Flamingo Brewing Company. And I was like, dang, they have something called Punk Night at a brewery, I got to do it. And, um, you know, immediately I'm texting this band, hey, how do you play here? And they gladly will tell you. And you are going to find, new artist, that it is super easy to um, ask those questions. People will gladly give you that. I will tell anybody how I get booked wherever. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to try and be like keeping some industry secret. That's stupid. Um, Because anybody can call up a venue or get the email for the venue and make something happen. But, you know, it is important to ask how to a band because sometimes um, some of the little bit harder to get into places, you do need to, like, message someone specific as opposed to, like, you know, an information email or, like, a general email inbox. Um, example, uh, Crowbar. So I tried, tried, tried five, six, eight, nine times to play at Crowbar in Ybor City and every single time, I would not get a response. And I was like, wow, guess just Crowbar is telling me to kick rocks. And the reality of it is, is I was sending the email to the wrong place. So it is important to ask questions to bands and say, how do you play there? Um, it is important to go out to wherever the music is happening and say hello. Say, hey, who runs this place? Or ask the bartender. And be like, hey, I'm in a band. I want to play sometime. How can I make that happen? They will tell you. And it's okay. And then also, once you start doing that, go and find a band you like and ask them if they will trade with you. This is probably my best advice I can give anybody. A band that is not from where you live, when they come through, if you jive with them, see if they will trade with you. And what I mean by that is this. If they play in your town, you're going to play with them, right? But on the flip side, when they come back home and play their home show where they have a lot of fans, they agree to book you. And this is a really easy way that you can get into a new um, area, but not necessarily have to do this intense, super intense legwork of like, oh my God, how do I fame fans? How do I convince these people to want me? Who's going to come to my show? Oh my God, pre-sales. Skip all that. Okay. Go book with a band that you know is from there. Right. And let's be real. Use their fans to become your fans. It's okay. We do it all the time. There's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of people to go around. Ears are ears, right? They're not going anywhere. It's not like you listen to one song and your ear falls off, right? So 
let their fans be your fans. Go make friends with that band and agree to a trade, right? I've gotten to play all sorts of cool places just by saying, hey, I'll take care of you at our home place if you can hook me up at yours. And it happens. Boom. It's done. You know, I have open offers in like all across the East Coast for when I'm ready to do a tour from these bands that like essentially are waiting to pay me back on the trade. So, um, yeah, go find out where your music is happening in wherever area you live um, and say hello. Um, and then from there, once you're actively going and watching music and you're ready to play out too and you want to go to some other places, find a band to pair up with and say, hey, can we do a trade? Can we make something happen? And even if you haven't played with them yet, go, go check out their music. Like, um, I met a band on the East Coast called Constant Throw. Um, I played at Melbourne in a place called Rubik's Cafe and Constant Throw guys were there. And I was like, yo, I've heard of you guys. You are super rad. And he was like, yeah, you know what's wild? Y'all are playing with us down at this Winfield. And I was like, holy shit, we are? And it's cool. You know what I mean? Like people that I've never met have never watched them play and vice versa until, you know, that night, right? And now, like, there's a mutual respect as artists, right? So it's not hard. You just have to go out there and say hello. Yeah, that's really the, I mean, that's honestly the best advice you could give pretty much in any circumstance if you want to be professional is getting somewhere in life. It's just about as much about the connections you Mm -hmm. make as is about the work you put in. You can't have one without the other. There's so many parallels that like people fail to recognize in the music scene, right? They think that the music scene has to be this like grimy, slog it through process that's just like, you know, it's always done this way and it's got to be hard and it's you got to earn it. You got to muscle through it. Uh, it's, it's dumb, right? There are other industries where this happens all the time. They're called um, industry meetups. They're called collabs. They're called think tanks. They're called, you know, mixers. All that, you know, they have all these things where it's designed to meet other professionals that you don't normally work with and you communicate with them and you make friends with them. And then one day when you need a certain thing or service or product, whatever, you have a list of contacts you can draw on. In music, it's the exact same. You need to go out and connect with said people so that one day when you need to fill up a bill full of bands because you want to do a show and the venue says, yeah, you need three other acts, now you know people you can ask and they know they can call on you, right? And so like, the more that people start getting this in their head, that music can be like local music. I say local. I try to avoid the local term. So I say independent or like unsigned, right? But that whole scene, right? If we started acting and treating this more like any other industry, I mean, things would radically take off in a different direction in a good way. But, you know, for whatever reason, people want to do it the hard way. Uh, doesn't make any sense to me, but. Yeah, I feel like it's this weird perspective that like you have to suffer through it and again there's a parallel here concert photography there are people that think you know you have to shoot small venues just to earn your keep and i used to think that way too like i used to think oh i have to do it for this many years to get to get to shoot somewhere like the abbey Mm -hmm. but you know what i did my friend johnny is in lost trees he played the abbey i'm like hey i'll shoot you guys for free if you make sure i get in there and they did and I shot them and I ended up being able to shoot a large band like Kane Hill. And it was great. And, you know, it's just awesome things like that. Um, you've definitely, and 
you know, I, I'm going to be going on tour soon. I can't really say who with, but, um, you know, like there are people who have done been doing this for years and years and years. I've never even been asked to go on tour. So it's just everybody has their own trajectory. And to think you have to do it the hard way is just mm-hmm. wrong. So we have talked for about <laughs> two hours. So I'm going to split this into two episodes because I do not feel like doing another episode. No, it's next all week. good, man. So uh, before you go, um, there was something else I wanted to ask. Oh, yeah. It was. Um, there are a couple other things, but the main thing is, what is your best sales pitch to get a new listener to listen to Ocean's yeah, End? Uh, you got it. All right. So Ocean's End, um, all we do all day long is be the voice for the voiceless, right? We talk some real talk. I am saying the things and singing about the things that you're scared to talk about, that you don't want to talk about, that you're ashamed to talk about. And while we're doing it, it's going to have some catchy melodies that you're not going to be able to stop singing. And it's going to have some bone crushing breakdowns. We're going to just get it all out on the floor. Okay, I dig that. I don't know about you guys, but I dig it. Okay, so I hear you have some very exciting shows coming up. Apparently somebody is getting a year older or something. Oh, yeah. So I got my birthday coming up uh, this weekend. So back-to-back shows because, uh, you know, I got problems. (laughs) So at Friday uh, at the vault in the hall in Holiday, um, which is in Pasco County, that's like my heavy night. So it's all metal bands and us. Um, that one is BYOB, but Hey, I decided why not just get it lit. So we given out lots of drinks, like the first 50 people in the door. Mm. And then Saturday we're playing at new world, Interesting. new world brewery in Tampa, um, which is going to be more like a dance party kind of vibe. Um, so more alternative kind of music, um, but still really fun. Um, I love new world brewery. The sound is amazing and the staff is super, super nice. And then after that, uh, let's see what else we're doing. Uh, we're playing with the Soap Girls. Uh, like I said, the International Superstars. We're playing with Constance Rowe. Um, so what's up, Hardcore Punks? Uh, over at Satellite Beach at Winfields. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, and then rounding it out, let's see, Cage Brewing, September 2nd. That's in St. Pete. Always fun with Virginia Rose Band. Level the Planet. Um, shout out to Vanketta. The most delicious uh, pork I've ever put in my mouth. And... Um, Let's see what else we got going on. Crowbar, of course, in Tampa, Ybor City, uh, September 16th. We had to make a lineup change. Uh, I guess I'm going to avoid the drama about the lineup change, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, it's a varied genre. So we got Bizik, um with his rap game, Strong. It's going to be dope there. Uh, Skate Ghost, bring in the skating and the metalcore. Um, pretty much like Tony Hawk Pro Skater and Warped Tour rolled into one with that band. I love them so much. And uh, Mortal Sons, um, which is fun because those are actually two of the guys that are my coworkers um, at my the school I teach at, and uh, Blues Rock at its finest, and that's going to be a blast. So super vibey, um, all sorts of ups and downs with that one. That'll be a blast. And then, like I said, we're going down to Pompano Beach, Black Flamingo Brewing. And then um, after that, the only other thing we got on the books is 239 Fest. We're going to come back to Cape Coral and hang out with you. Um, Oh, yep. shit. So we'll be over at Rackham's on the outdoor stage. So impossible to miss us because we are obnoxiously loud on purpose. We will get your attention oh, and thank keep it. God. Um, so anybody who's walking foot traffic, you will hear me yell all sorts of crazy things. Um, I can't fucking stand being inside Rackham. The, the uh, cigarette yes, I've heard that the cigarette too much for me, man. Tough. But yeah, we'll be outside. So nice fresh air. I'm for it. Um, breathe it in and let out the anger. 
Um, and that will kind of wrap it up for us as a band. Um, and then I'm playing an acoustic version of our songs at something I called the Singer Songwriter Seance, which is our little Halloween party mm. at the vault. It's going to be candlelight. It's going to be fun. Um, the secret surprise that I guess we'll put on the podcast, and that'll be like the hidden Easter egg, is that I am dressing up in drag to do tarot card readings that are uh, completely fake, but just for fun. Um, so I'll be dressing like Marie Laveau in drag. Um, for, that sounds like a fun time. Yeah, it'll there. be it'll be really ridiculous and fun. Um, but that'll be the end of the year for us because we are working on that EP, um, which awesome. is slated to come out in January. Um, so we do need to kind of like knuckle down and put some put some real time in on getting that knocked out for y'all because we do have lots of big plans for 2023 with that album being our first one out. Um, we're going to change up all our imagery. We're going to change out all our merch, all that fun stuff. Hopefully we'll be doing a tour with some people that once we've lock it in, then I will say who it is. Um, but yeah, that's the idea. Um, also there's a live stream coming at the end of the month. Um, so if for whatever reason you can't make it out to any of our shows, um, you'll be able to stream us on the YouTube, um, from stream stage live. Those guys are and gals are amazing. Um, and they put out a super high def recording of us. So you'll actually be able to hear some stuff that isn't released on anywhere else by watching that live stream. Awesome. Um, one last thing I meant to bring it up earlier, but, uh, from what I've heard and what we've talked about, you're helping Sincerely Yours re- re- record their first album. Can you? Uh, is there anything you'd like to talk about with that yeah, as well? Um, Sincerely Yours, they hit me up with me and uh, my buddy Tim over at Overmoral Sound and Production. Um, and they were like, hey, we want to do album. Um, can you help us out on it? And you know, for a long while, I was like, man, I don't really want to do audio engineering anymore outside of just you know for the personal enrichment of writing my own demos and recording them. Um, but I really enjoy that, that music, um, that say anything front bottoms kind of vibe is, is fun and it's quirky. And I was like, you know what, we could, we can do some, we can do some cool stuff with it. So yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna work on that over time, especially since I am taking a performance break. Right. Um, so we'll see how that's going. And then, you know, as if I didn't have enough on my plate, I also am doing this cloud collaboration of a metalcore, well, not really metalcore, gent um, slash synthwave heatwave project with my buddy Wade that oh, I told you about from Sound Sequels Death. Um, because, oh my God. you know, as as fun as I have in Ocean's End, um, I still sometimes want to go even heavier. So me and Wade are writing all sorts of songs exclusively using eight strings. So that's going to be brutal. Oh my gosh, that sounds like some Lorna Shore type shit. Or like Slayer to Reveal or whatever, but yeah, that sounds really cool. Um, it's been a blast having you. I actually think I will keep it one episode just because I don't give a <laughs> shit. But um, I mean, I will be honored and week. flattered if someone listens to like over two hours worth of me rambling. So, I mean, most of the Cody Smith episode last week was just us like making sex jokes and laughing and shit. All right, so, so at least like, we have at this least is actually we have actual high-end. content. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is high end information. Uh, but um, yeah, it's been great having you. Uh, yeah, you, if you go to an Ocean's End show within the near future, I think I'm starting to be kind of be their guy, so you'll see me there too. So say For hi. Sure. And I just want to say a quick extra special thing about Crowbar Show because that is our last time playing in Tampa Bay in 2022. 
if you buy merch at that show, oh. you're throwing in all sorts of fun surprises. So don't miss out. Pull Ooh, up that's pretty cool. Ocean Den does have some really cool merch. Like you guys are a local band, but y'all go hard with that. I merch. try, man. I design pretty much all that artwork myself. So, oh yeah, you actually just a quick shout out. You made some artwork for both me, my my photography business, and this podcast. So so just a quick thank you and shout out for that. So yeah, um, patches with birds is what it's called, no, it's, right? Well, so patches with birds is the username on Instagram. Um, just because every patch will have a bird on it. Um, but it's called nevermore art. Um, the Instagram thing basically locked me out of putting my name on the account because it, I don't know, some technical BS anyway. Um, that'll launch in a couple weeks. Um, I'm still kind of putting my screens together, but that's fun little project I have. I'm kind of upcycling different fabrics into uh, patches for the punk scene um, with different fun phrases and artwork on it. So yeah, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a good time with that. Well, yeah, I feel like if I if I keep you on here any longer, we're just gonna keep fucking talking. <laughs> so like, I guess we should wrap up. We can always have you back on the show to talk about more stuff, like kind of like the fun things we have planned next year so we can get you back on for that. So I hope you have a great rest of your night. Oh, yeah, man. Thank you for listening. I'll shoot the shit for the past two hours. Uh, to wrap up, here is another letdown by Ocean's End. <laughs>